again, Kevin, for all the work you put into that. I appreciate it. We appreciate it, so thank you. All right, so what I want to do now uh, as we continue in our service is uh, I want to talk about this a little bit. I mentioned it briefly at some point uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but how should we respond as Christians to the Palestinian-Israeli, I'll call it a war, uh, I think war's been declared, uh, that's going on right now? Uh, how are we supposed to look at that? And depending upon who you talk to um, across America and which church they're in, they're gonna, they may give you a little bit different response, and we'll, we'll see that in just a second. So as you consider uh, this conflict, I don't know if uh, yesterday, if you were out and about in Hamtramck or not, um, but I was here at the building for a while yesterday afternoon, <clears throat> and I walked outside, uh, and there were blue lights flashing. So unlike any other human being, when there's blue lights, I start looking, and uh, as I look to the left, the blue lights were up on Joseph Campo. I look to the right, some kid gets out of the car, and he has the Palestinian flag, you know, around his shoulders, and uh, uh, they're trying to figure out which way to go to catch the crowd. And sure enough, there was this big demonstration or parade. I don't, it was like a march. Uh, coming down Joseph Campo, and it was longer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought it was going to be a little bit shorter, but it was it was a pretty substantial crowd. Did anybody see that yesterday when you were out and about? No? Um, you saw it, Louise? I guess so, right in front of your shop, right? <laughs> Good crowd. Anybody come in and buy anything while they were uh, marching by? No? <laughs> okay. So uh, the question is, you know, how, how do we respond to this, this um, Israeli-Palestinian issue? Uh, if you're like me, um, you get confused when you look at like issues from one side, the issues from the other side, what you may or may have not learned um, in the churches you've been to or maybe the school you've attended. You know, how are we supposed to think about this? Uh, Jason, I don't know if I can go forward or not. Are we stuck? There we go. All right. How are we supposed to think about this particular conflict? So there is an element of Christianity um, and I think probably the more extreme version of it would be American Zionism. Um, and there are churches, the picture of that guy there is John Hagee. He's a, um, he is a very charismatic, I mean that in the sense of lively, um, vocal, uh, pastor. Um, he's a leader in some circles. He loves to talk about the end times a lot. And he's one of these guys that loves to relate everything that's going on now to the end times and the rapture of the church and the return of Christ. And I think a few years ago, I think in 2021, there was an uprising. There was, you know, missiles being fired back and forth. And, um, you know, what he wants to do is, OK, what is the countdown? What what event is going to say this is the beginning of the tribulation period? We need to be looking for. Uh, the return of Christ, right? So obviously he'd be a post-trib rapture guy, maybe. Um, but the people who look at the situation this way, um, and again, this would be along a spectrum. So American Zionism would be kind of like on the far end of the spectrum. Uh, they say the Jews are God's people. You better side with them no matter what happens. I was at work when this whole thing started back at the beginning of October, and uh, one of our coworkers. Um, was saying, hey, you know, you don't mess with Jerusalem, right? You mess with Jerusalem, God's going to mess with you, right? You need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which is true, okay? Um, but not necessarily, you know, God's going to smite you if you do anything to Jerusalem. 
So side with, side with is the Israelis no matter what happens. God gave Abraham the land and Isaac was the child of promise. Right? So that is distinguished between um, Isaac and Ishmael. Right? So if you understand the Islamic version of Genesis chapter 22, they would say that it was Ishmael that Abraham offered up uh, on Mount Moriah not Isaac. You see how that switching that one person can make a big difference there. So they have territorial rights. The Israelis were given that land by God. And let's not forget God's future promises to Israel, right? So sorry, Palestinians. We understand that you guys were displaced back in 1948, 47, 48. But, uh, you know, Israelites had been there for a long time. God gave them that land. So you're just going to have to like it or lump it, okay? Well, what about the other side, right? The Palestinians have been in the land forever, right? right? So, so, so Abraham comes into the land of promise, and the Canaanites are there. Right? They're people in the land. When you look at the area that we would call uh, Gaza, that was where the Philistines would hang out. That was kind of their main area. Goliath was from the area. And so the Palestinians have been there forever. So you're like, who's got squatter rights, right? If you, want to, if you want to start looking at it that way. So the Jews came in with the help of the U.S. I think some people downplay the role of, you know, the whole United Nations thing. But, you know, it was, it was uh, and, and that could be uh, anachronistic to put the U.N. back into it. I can't remember what the U.N. forum, but I know it was many nations that came together to try to find a solution for the Jewish people. Right, the, the you know, trying to find, trying to get the Jews back into that geographical area really began after World War One, and there was a process that was moving forward, but when Hitler began to to make his moves, that kind of got pushed to the side, um, and so the Palestinians would say, "Hey, we we've been there, right? It's Western imperialism that's knocked us out. We've been impressed by the Israelis since 1948, right? If you know anything about the history of Israel, May of 1948 was when they officially became a country. And then right after that, the Arab countries attacked them, right? <laughs> so it wasn't long peace, right? And so the Palestinians say, look, enough is enough, all right? We, we, have, been, we have been under the oppression of the Israelis since 1948. Yeah, we have our little area that we live in, and we have some form of self-governance, but... Israel does what they want to do when they want to do it, and we just have to submit to whatever Israel wants. We have to go through checkpoints all the time, and we have to be interrogated all the time. We are tired of it. We live in, you know, our, our economy is not good. We have bad living situation. Enough is enough. So uh, the, the other side of the, the you said the, the one flag with the red arrow, and that's the Palestinian flag, and then uh, the flag of Hamas, okay, we'll talk about that in a minute, is the green flag. And what's written there in that very, very fancy Arabic script is the Shahada, right? There's one God, Allah, and his prophet, Muhammad, okay? Um, you just have to say that, you become a Muslim. Um, so the green flag is uh, representative of Hamas. Um, but that green flag also represents really, um, you know, everybody who... Uh, follows Islam, right? So, you, you know, you have Hamas, which is uh, a Sunni militant organization um, fighting for the rights of Palestinians, wanting to overthrow the Israeli government. That's the flag that they use. But I would probably imagine there are people 
who are from Hezbollah, which is the Shia militant group from Lebanon. Okay, now, Shias and Sunnis don't get along unless they're trying to kick out the Westerners. Um, and, and so behind Hamas really is Islam. Okay, and, and so, you know, you hear this said all the time, well, you get rid of Hamas, you know, you're going to have, it's like trying to get rid of Medusa, right? You chop off one of the snake's heads and, you know, five more pop up in its place. So, so how are you going to deal with that problem? So the question that we've had in our family as we discuss this is, does Hamas represent um, what Palestinians believe, right? And really, I, I try to do a lot of reading to, to understand this from different sources, and some people will say, well, no, Hamas uh, doesn't represent the average uh, um, Palestinian, somebody who lives in Gaza or the West Bank. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who is the president of the Palestinian government, says, no, Hamas doesn't represent us. Um, but again, it depends on who you ask, and it depends on when you ask them. I would say right now, after you know, so many Palestinians have died, people are probably more sympathetic to Hamas than they were, say, three months ago. But this is from one article that was written recently that I read as in the Christian Science Mantra. It says this, Many saw the attack in which over 100 Israelis were abducted and taken hostages into Gaza, and then, like the 1,200 that were killed, okay, as retribution for the deaths of Palestinian civilians in earlier rounds of conflict in daily life. Right. So you can't just look at the situation and say, okay, you know, the problem is, is what happened in the beginning of October. Well, no, this has been going on since 1948. This has been a, a long, protracted issue. And so people are like, we've been promised that there's going to be some type of solution for a, a separate Palestinian state, that Israel and Palestine can exist side by side, and, and, and they can have their own governments. We're waiting for that solution. And solutions have been proposed um, but nobody can agree on exactly which solution to run with as far as having a separate Palestinian state. The world keeps saying this attack is unprovoked, but in fact, the world is ignoring how violent the daily occupation is, right? So they view the Israelis being there as, a, as an occupation. Says Diana, uh, I don't have her last name, uh, I can't even read it now, but two, a former advisor to a Palestinian delegation to peace talks with Israel is now in advance. So, um, there are no more talks about a separate Palestinian state right here, obviously. Um, but the average Palestinian, you know, if, you know, they have a family, have kids, they have jobs, they need to put food on the table, they want, they want safety for their kids. They're just like us, okay? And it just so happens that Hamas plays to this sense of oppression that's been going on since 1948. Now, Hamas is a political force, right? They're not just this militant force that's separate from the government, okay? Hamas uh, is involved in politics in the Palestinian government. And so, in fact, Hamas, since some of those, some of those who are part, part of Hamas have been uh, voted into office, then they are of the, the Palestinian people. So they do represent what Palestinians believe to some extent, okay? You can't, you can't deny that. Um, and you can't forget this about Hamas, um, and this is, this is taken straight from the Hamas Covenant or Charter from 1988, right? At the very beginning, it's like the prologue um, to 
um, Hamas's the way they're going to run things, right? Their, their covenant or their contract or their uh, charter. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will ob- obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it, right? And so the question you have to ask is, you know, are they trying to obliterate Israel as a state or all Israelis, okay? Now, <laughs> you have to understand that there are some Palestinian Israelis. In a sense, there's some Palestinians that are citizens of Israel, okay? So it's, it's a very complex issue. I would, my understanding of the way I read this is they're trying to get rid of the state of Israel and go back to the way things were prior to 1948. But Hamas is a militant group, and it does represent what some people who live in Palestine believe. Now, I have an article. If you're wondering, uh, this is a very good article, actually. Uh, it's written by, it's, it's in a magazine or a, a publication called Foreign Affairs, and it says what Palestinians really think of Hamas, uh, and they ask all types of questions about, um, you know, what their life is like under Hamas, how has it been under Hamas, and, and really, up until recently, people were very dissatisfied with Hamas uh, as a ruling party. They didn't like the way their lives were going, uh, but what's happened with Israel really has uh, caused people to support Hamas even more. So this is, this is a good article. Um, I'll have it up here if you want to look at it later on. Um, and one of the subheadings says, by and large, Gazans do not share Hamas's goal of eliminating the state of Israel. When polled, most Palestinians would like a two-state solution. They don't want to get rid of Israel necessarily. They just want to, they just want to live in peace, just like we want to live in peace. So, so how should we respond with a biblical worldview? And how, how are we supposed to look at this situation? So what I'll do is kind of go through some biblical principles, just take a few moments to do that, to try to understand as Christians how we're supposed to look at this very, very complicated, extremely complicated issue. The first thing is both Israelis and Palestinians are in rebellion against God and his way of peace. And the problem is, is is that they're rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah. But thankfully, Christ's death on the cross removed the barrier of hostility between Jews and non-Jews, right? Ephesians chapter 2 clearly tells us as, as this new program has been introduced since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ called the church has been introduced. The church is one new man, right? One new humanity in Christ. And so we read this, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands, right? The law was meant for Israel. Christ fulfilled the law. The old covenant had been set aside. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So Christ's death on the cross in part achieves peace between all peoples, that there will be one people of God, that Palestinians and Israelis who embrace Jesus Christ and Messiah will be worshiping together around the throne one day. Verse 17 he came, to, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The far away would be the Gentiles, 
Palestinians would be Gentiles. Those who were near in this context would be those who had received the covenants, the law, you know, temple worship. That would be the Jews, the Israelis. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. But as we consider this one new man, it would be wrong to say that Israel is no different in the eyes of God than any other nation. We have to deny a lot of scripture to say, well, there's no difference between the Israelis or the Jewish people, ethnic Jews, okay? When I say Israelis right now, I'm saying ethnic Jews. Those people who can trace their lineage to Abraham. It's wrong to say that they're just like everybody else. The truth of God's word doesn't change. And so God is telling Moses and the people before the end of the promised land, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Right? Moses wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. But this is the land. Here it is. I promised it to you. Why? Because you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples in the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So there's something special about people who ethnically derive from Abraham, the Jewish people. There's something different, something special about them. But nonetheless, Israel has rebelled against God over the centuries, and today is no exception. Ethnic Jews are in complete rebellion against God unless they have embraced Jesus Christ as the Messiah and have turned to him in faith and repentance, believing that he died on the cross to pay the penalty of their sins and rose again on the third day. Right, Exodus 19, right, when God gave them the law, when he says, you're my special people, there were stipulations to this covenant. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Right? So there were stipulations to this, you're my special people, I'm making a covenant with you, but there are stipulations here. And the people, they disobeyed, they rebelled against God again and again. And God was very patient with them, sending them prophets, calling them back to, to God. They Again and again, they rebelled against God. And so finally, as God said they would be, they were taken into captivity and as Daniel's in captivity and he's praying to God for the people, this is what he prays. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, but Lord, Lord is great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. Right, so if you, you look at the Old Testament and you look at God's dealings with the children of Israel, those who are ethnically Jews from Abraham, right, God punished them again and again through foreign nations. Yeah, they were his special people, his chosen possession, his holy priesthood, but he punished them through other nations. And really the pinnacle of that was in AD 70. After they completely reject the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jerusalem is ransacked, it is, the temple is torn down, the walls are torn down, and temple worship is no more. Complete judgment. When Jesus came on the scene, on the scene, I've already kind of alluded to this, the ministry of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, confirmed the rebellion of Israel. They kind of sealed the deal there. And Jesus, as he's 
entering into Jerusalem, right, on the week, week before he's crucified, he says this in Luke. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over and said, If you, even you, had only known this day, and what would bring you peace? If you only understood that I would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. All right, and, and so... So right there, Jesus, is a, he's, he's looking forward to, in verse 43, 80, 70, um, when Rome would come in, circle the city, tear down the temple. Um, I think I have another passage here. This must be out of order. Um, let me go forward here. Let's go to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 21... Um, as Jesus is addressing the issue of the rebellion of the Jews, he says this, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces. Anyone whom it falls will be crushed. And this is the end of the parable of the, of the tenants. And Jesus is saying, you know, hey, look, God was patient. He sent you the prophets. He sent you the son, you rejected the prophets, you rejected the son, and now the kingdom is taken away from you. Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus said, you know, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers its chicks under its wings. But no, you wouldn't have it, right? So Jerusalem, your house has left you desolate. I'm going to a people who will listen to the Gentiles. And so with the advent of the Messiah, they confirm their rebellion, and they're still in rebellion against God. But God hasn't forgotten the Jews, right? This is Romans chapter 11. He hasn't forgotten the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. I don't have time to talk a lot about this, but he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, right? So we're in this... New era of God's dealing uh, with his chosen people, us, the church right now, okay, right? Christ's death, burial, resurrection, Pentecost, the church age. This is what we're in now. But during this period right now, Israel is being hardened. But there's going to be a time, once the hardening is removed, okay, once God's grace is exerted back in on the people, there will be more Jews to come to faith in Christ. And so there's a whole lot wrapped up in that. But the point is, is that right now, the Jewish people, Israel, okay, though they are God's chosen people, his treasured possession, they have rejected God, they have rebelled against God, just like any other nation on the face of the earth. But God still has plans for them. And I would challenge you um, to, to go to Isaiah and read through Isaiah, and especially if you want to go like this afternoon, just a little reading, Isaiah chapter 10 and 11. In chapter 11, it's very interesting. Actually, why don't you go there real quickly, just so we can see this fact that God hasn't forgotten the nation of Israel. Go to uh, Isaiah chapter 11.
Right, so the beginning of chapter 11, um, there's this prophecy of the Messiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So, so there's this prophecy of the coming Messiah. And then he begins to talk about, well, let's just continue reading it. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with breath of his lips, and he will slay the wicked. What does that sound like? It sounds like Revelation chapter 19, right? If you were to correlate that. Righteousness will be his belt and his faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And then he talks about this new structure of, of the kingdom, right? Things are going to change. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. The holy mountain would be Jerusalem, okay? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, as you read prophetic writing in the Old Testament, there's some key phrases, and one of them is, in that day. So in verse, uh, uh, verse 11, he says, or verse 10, he says, in that day. In that day is a key phrase that points you to the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord isn't one day, okay, because we look at the phrase, in the day of the Lord, really it, 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 it encompasses the return of Christ, it encompasses um, God judging the earth during the tribulation period, uh, it, it encompasses the blessings of the millennial kingdom, all those are in that day. And so anytime you read prophetic writing, especially Isaiah, in that day, your mind needs to skip ahead to the kingdom, to the return of Christ in the kingdom. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as the banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. So the first time he reached out was to bring them back from Babylonia. He brought back two of the tribes. Okay, He brought back um, Judah. Okay, Brought back Benjamin. Okay, but the other 10 were taken into captivity back in 722 B.C. They were taken into captivity and never to be seen again. And so he says, a second time I'm going to reclaim my remnants. Well, when is that second time? It hasn't happened yet. It's a time yet. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim his surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, Babylonia, from Hamath, from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. So Ephraim was taken into captivity in 722. They were among the ten lost tribes, never to be seen again. And I've had people say, well, how do you know who's ethnically a part of this group? I mean, how, do you, how, can, how can that possibly be figured out who technically is genetically, ethnically a part of this people? They're going to be brought back in that remnant. I'm like, do you believe in the bodily resurrection of the saints? As you know, when we die, we all turn into carbon. 
So if God somehow figures out all the carbon pieces and puts them together into a body, okay, because it's your resurrected body. So if God can figure that out, he can figure out who is really ethnically from Abraham and a part of those tribes and bring them back as he said he would bring them back. So he will raise the banner for the nations, it says. And I'll go down to verse 14. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people of the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab. Uh, Sam had talked some about uh, Edom a few weeks ago. Um, the Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea with a scorching wind. Talking about the events that are going to happen during the, you know, with the return of Christ. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria and there was for Israel, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. And then he goes on, in that day. All right? And so, so this day in the future is the day that God has for his ethnic people. So though right now the Jews are living in rebellion, there is a time in the future where God has a plan for them. But as it stands, they're in rebellion, just like the Palestinians are. So how do we respond? We respond in love. All right, God does have a unique future for Israel, but until then, we are to love and pray for our neighbors, both Israeli and Palestinian, they would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So shame on me. Yesterday, as I was, I'm outside on the sidewalk, and this kid hops out of the car with the Palestinian flag, robing around him. I didn't have thoughts of love. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because I projected in my mind uh, on him what I was thinking about, that he hates Jews. He wants Israel to cease to exist. That was what I was thinking. He was, I have no idea what the guy was thinking. He could be thinking, I'm just tired of Palestinian kids dying. Could be he had family members living in Palestine that he was fearful of, fearful for. But in my mind, I'm thinking, like, you're just a left-wing hater. You're an anti-Semite. I mean, that's, I'm just confessing to you where my heart goes sometimes. It wasn't like, dear God, please give me a chance to share the gospel with this kid right now. And so shame on me. But we have to recalibrate our way of thinking, people, okay? So it may be this is where you already are. Okay, that this is what you've been thinking, this is how you've been praying all along. It may be that you're on the other extreme, like you've been influenced by American Zionism, and you have this picture in your mind of don't mess with Israel because God's going to mess with you. That's not scriptural. I mean, the governments are going to do what they're going to do. Pray for the government to, to do what's right. But right now, Israel's in rebellion, Palestine's in rebellion, the Zionists and Israel in rebellion, Hamas is in rebellion, everybody needs Jesus. We all need Christ. And so we need to pray that he would receive Christ because his purpose was to create in himself one in humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Amen? All right, that's how we need to pray. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing a song together.